Well, hey, I was, uh, I was grabbing lunch with a pastor friend of mine last week, and, and I was sharing my story of coming to know Jesus and like how God has brought me to the places that I'm at today. And you know, as I got done sharing my story, you know, that's a typical like Christian lunch conversation. Um, I got done sharing, and one of the first things he said in response was something about narcissism. Y'all, narcissism is not the word that I was expecting to hear, and it's definitely not the word I would want to hear out of someone's mouth after I just got done talking about myself for like 20 minutes. So, so this week, um, I studied narcissism. I actually, I actually found out that the word narcissist comes from a Greek myth about a young hunter named Narcissus. Um, he's known for breaking hearts over his good looks. And, and the story goes that Nemesis, the Greek god of vengeance, for reasons I don't have time to get into, leads Narcissus to this clear, glassy pool of water. And uh, the story goes like this. I got it on the screen. This is like my shortened, condensed version for y'all. story goes like this. As he bent down to drink from this pool of water, he caught sight of a hauntingly beautiful young man. Never before had Narcissus seen himself with such clarity. He spent the day acquainting himself with every glinting angle and passed the evening gazing at his reflection by moonlight. Days wore on and Narcissus never parted from his one true love. Eating and drinking nothing, Narcissus too wasted away until all that was left of him was a white and yellow flower bending towards its reflection. Isn't that how we envision narcissism? Like, dude literally admired himself to death. But as my friend uh, so oddly brought up that word narcissism at our lunch meeting, he educated me that there's actually uh, something called primary narcissism. And primary narcissism is actually part of our development as children. A psychology website I was looking at called Psych Central states that during this time of development, the child is highly egocentric and believes that he is the center of the world, probably because of the fact that almost all of his needs and desires are being fulfilled by his parents. So he brought that up because one commonality that he and I shared as after I shared my story is that we've both been deeply hurt and rejected by our fathers. You see, that primary narcissism that like is built into us as infants, it wasn't, it wasn't satisfied. It's that thing in us that, that makes us say, hey, dad, watch this throw. Hey, dad, did you see that? Did you see me? Did you see me? Hey, Dad, Dad, are you proud of me? Like, that, that itch was never scratched, if you will. And whether you're in this room and, and you, you've missed out on that like I have, or, or you get that every single day or somewhere in between, that affirmation that we were made for, what I see in that is we were created to belong to a good father. We were created to be kids who both 
desire and receive our Father's love and approval. It's literally in our psychological makeup. Here's what I'm getting at, friends. Here's why you need this message tonight. You need to know what it's like to be God's kid. Friends, you need to know what it's like to be God's kid. To actually experience his goodness as your loving father and not just know the right answers about his, his goodness. Know the right things to say about him as a father. So as you guys lean in and you listen tonight, the big idea that I want you to hear is that God did more than saving us. God actually adopted us, those of us who trusted in Christ. Guys, it's been a minute, uh, but three weeks ago, obviously we had Inside Scoop, we had Zane out here, but three weeks ago, we kicked off this series. It's called God Did, and, and it's, in the, it's in Romans chapter 8. You guys can actually head there right now if you have your Bibles, if you have the Bible app, uh, whatever you got, you can pull that out now, head to Romans chapter 8. And in our first message on Romans chapter 8, we looked at the first 11 verses, and we talked a lot about this freedom that there is in a life with Jesus. If you remember, there were four ways that we're free. We're free from punishment, free from having to be perfect, we're free from our old way of life, and we're free from death. You guys remember that if you were here three weeks ago. And tonight, I want us to actually shift into this next section of Romans 8, being reminded that because of our freedom, because of our freedom, we don't actually belong to ourselves anymore. We we don't belong to our sin. This world does not own us. We actually belong to God because he paid that price for our freedom. He ransomed us, and so we belong to him. The first, the first verse that we're going to look at tonight uh, in our text, it actually gives us that reminder. It's verse 12 of Romans chapter 8, and it says, So then, so then, brothers and sisters, so then, because of all those reasons why we're free, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Other translations say we're not debtors to the flesh, which means we don't owe our flesh anything anymore. The power that it had over us is gone. It's not our master. And like I said a couple seconds ago, God is the one who ransomed us. He redeemed us. He paid for that freedom. And so we belong to him. And we're going to see that here as we go through the rest of uh, tonight's passage. So this is Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, God's Spirit, testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer 
with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Thanks for your word, God. We love you. Pray that you would open our eyes to see your truth tonight. And y'all, as I look through this passage and I, I prayed through this passage, I saw three things. Three things that God's kids do in response to the freedom that we talked about last week. Three ways that you can actually begin to experience what it's like to be God's kid. Here's what it is. God's kid, God's kids follow their father. God's kids follow their father. God's kids fall into the arms of their father. And lastly, God's kids find hope in their father. And quick disclaimer, as you read through that list, this message is for everyone in this room. And if you're here and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ, I'm so glad you're here. But I want to I say that when I talk about God's kids, when I say God's kids tonight, I'm going to say it a lot. I'm specifically speaking about those in this room who have trusted in Jesus Christ. We're all created in God's image, all of us in this room. We're all God's creation. He certainly is interested and, and loves and cares about each and every one of his creations. But we're not all God's children. You see, being adopted into God's family comes through faith in Jesus. And the cool thing is, if, if you're here and you're like, what? What is this exclusive club? The invitation is open. Anyone in this room could be God's kid. And so with that, our first point is that God's kids follow their father. Verse 13, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Y'all, I've been, I've, been I've been pretty spoiled throughout my childhood. My mom loves planning epic vacations. And if, if you've been keeping track, yes, I've already indicted myself as spoiled and potentially narcissistic. So pray for me. Uh, it's a good night. And, and because, because I'm spoiled... Because I'm spoiled, I've grown to like expect this kind of generosity from my mom, especially around early March, because you guys know spring break, right? And so, so when I hear, hey, Jacob, what are you doing week of March 7th or whatever it is, I'm like, all right, let's go. Where are we going? I'm putting my PTO in right now. It's going to be great, right? Like, I, I don't sit there and get anxious. Like, I'm not like, why is she asking me? Like, I, I've, I've learned that it's for my good. Right? I don't get caught up in the process. I know following my mom on this trip, there's a process to it, right? You got to go get a ride to the airport. You got to get a, uh, you got to go through security. You got to get on the plane, spend a few hours in the air. But I know, I know if I follow her, that following is a means to an end. An end that looks like me on a beach. Come on, right? Amen. That's where we want to be. Actually, no, I love Minnesota right now. Praise God. Uh, but this is important. This is important. This is, here's why I'm sharing this. Going on these trips with my mom or my family doesn't make me her son or part of the family. I go on these trips. I follow her to these places because I am 
her kid. You see, I know that my mom is taking me someplace incredible, someplace potentially better than where I'm at right now. And if I decided, like, hey, I'm not going to follow you there this time, I'm not going to follow you, maybe it's because I'm afraid if I get on that plane, it won't come down, it'll just keep going and going and going. I don't know, that process looks tedious. If I decide that, like, I'm still her son, but I'm missing out. I'm choosing to reject the benefits of being in that family. If you know my story, um, you know I have a pretty broken relationship with my mom, too. Um, and even still, she's, like, super, super generous and is, is so sweet in, in the ways that she gifts us and brings us on these trips. And it's great. I don't deserve that. But how much more is our perfect father generous and intentionable? intentionable? That's a new word, guys. Write it down. How much more intentional is he in the places that he takes us? In this text tonight, Paul makes it clear. God's kids, they follow their father. God's kids learn that when he is ready to take us somewhere, it's going to be good. The process of getting there, like following to that place, following God, it's a means to an end. Like those mundane mornings spent in the word where you feel like you can't even wake up can't open your eyes, but you're reading God's word, that's leading you somewhere. When you spend time in prayer for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for whatever it is, it's leading you somewhere. When we kill our sin and obey God, that is leading you somewhere. It's bringing you closer to him. And do you guys know that in the Bible it says that at God's right hand, are eternal pleasures. Pleasure forever. And so, God, as we follow God, it's a means to an end. It's an end where we are with God, and, and it, that is so much better than any other place that we could be at today. Of course, we still have to make the choice to take part in that. Like, if you choose tomorrow, friend, God's kid, if you choose tomorrow, I'm, just, I'm not going to follow God today. I don't want to go in that process. I don't want to crack open my Bible today. Whatever it is, I'm going to go back to that thing. I know he saved me from it. If you choose not to follow God tomorrow, you're still his son. You're still his daughter. You're just not choosing to be a part of it. You're not, you're not reaping the benefits of being God's kid. And so I would encourage you, don't miss the opportunity to reap the benefits knowing that you're not God's kid because you follow him. You follow your father because you're his kid. Don't get it twisted. Don't, don't flip those around. That's key. God's kids follow their father. Y'all, I love the language in these next few verses. 15 and 16 say this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Like we just saw, those who are led by God are God's sons. Here we see, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
In other words, you are no longer a slave to yourself. You're no longer a slave to your sin. You're not held in chains by this world. You're not a slave. You're a son. You don't have to, like, recoil in fear for your master. You can love and trust your father. And so rather than, like, falling back into fear, God's kids fall into the arms of their father. God's kids fall into the arms of their father. So the passage we're in, uh, it's called Romans, this, this letter that we're reading from. It's written by the apostle Paul, and originally this was written in Greek. But there's one word here in verse 15 that Paul actually intentionally wrote in a different language. And if you can catch it there, it's, it's the word Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word, and that's the language that Jesus spoke. If we translate the word Abba into English, we'd essentially end up with Dada. Dada. Now, next high school, who came up with the word Dada? Who? Babies? Toddlers? They're geniuses. They came out, they came out with this new word, two syllables. It describes this like intimacy and innocence and dependence on dad. They came up with it. It's theirs. And guess what? It's not just an English thing. It's not just an Aramaic thing. It's all over the world. Check this out. In Spanish, it's Papa. In Indonesian, Indonesian, it's Bapa. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. I don't know, guys. In Turkish, it's Baba or Baba. I don't know. In Aramaic, it's Abba, and for you and I, someone knows every single version of the toddler name for dad in this room. True? I hear it. No, I'm just kidding. In Aramaic, it's, it's Abba, and in English, it's, it's Dada, right? And the only thing that unites all of those, the consistency, is because of whose mouth it comes from. Toddlers. Toddlers. Friends, Paul uses the word Abba to tell us something about our relationship with God. The, the use of the word Abba tells us that God has saved us and freed us from our old masters so that we might be restored to a relationship with him that looks a lot more like child and dada than it does slave and master. And toddlers, they don't just say dada, do they? That word, like, certainly it gets their father's attention, right? It's kind of the precursor to, hey, dad, watch this. Hey, dad, did you see me? Did you see me? But what else do they do? What else do toddlers do? They reach out for their father. They reach out for their father. When they get hurt, when they make a mess, when they get scared, or even when they're just being cute, it's because it's cute. It's cute. Trust me. They reach out for their dada. And friends, in the same way, I want you to catch this. In the same way that the Spirit of God leads us to cry out, Abba, to our Father, to get his attention, we have assurance that when we reach out to him in our helplessness, he'll bend down, he'll scoop us up, and he'll embrace us in his arms. God's kids, they fall into the arms 
of their father. And so for those of you in this room who have an incredible dads, like incredible dads, I know a lot of you do, I don't want you to miss how special this is. Don't take, don't take advantage of it. Because even the best dads are just a shadow of who God is. Just a shadow. And for those of you in this room who you're about to tune out for the rest of this message because this isn't your story. You didn't have a dad like this. I want to encourage you too. Abba is written here for you. Abba is written here in the, G- in the, in the language that Jesus spoke for you. Because in the most desperate moment of his life, Jesus... Hours before his crucifixion, he cried out for his Abba. In Mark 14, starting in verse 32, it says, Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John, that's his crew. They took him with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. And he went a little further, and, and he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, Dada, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what you will. And so, guys, the immense, the immense grief and pain that Jesus was dreading to the point of death in this moment, it wasn't just the physical pain of the cross and the beating. It's because taking on our sin meant that for the first time in all of eternity, eternity past, the eternal Son of God would be separated from his Father. Eternal, eternity past. For the first time, Jesus, the Son of God, separated from his Father. That that was what was so unbearable. Jesus would cry out, Abba, and for the first time, be denied. For the first time. He would cry out, Abba, Father, and there would be no answer that he would be forsaken on the cross, also that we don't have to be. You know, we can be accepted because in that moment, Jesus was denied. And no matter who you are or the family that you come from, you can call out Abba and lift up your arms and you can fall into the arms of a perfect father. You just go limp. It's all him. Just our last point is that God's kids, they find hope in their father. Verse 16, the spirit himself, God's spirit, God, testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The absurd truth here tonight is we're more than just saved. We're adopted. That's, that's crazy. 
You know, my Bible, it has a note about adoption. It says this. Adopted children could not be cast aside once adopted. I think I got this on the screen, too. If we can put that up. Yeah, there it is. Cool. Adopted children could not be cast aside once adopted. Typically, adoption was initiated by a father who chose to embrace a helpless child with nothing to offer the parent and make the child an heir. Adopted children typically bring nothing with them into their new family and yet are freely given access to the resources of their new home. Adoption represents the amazing grace of God to embrace former rebels and make them his children and heirs. And so, y'all, God did more than saving us. He did more than just saying you're good. He adopted us. He made a legally binding choice that no matter what happens, his kids are his kids, and it cost him his own son. Our name is changed. Like, we're part of his family now. Our home address has changed. We're citizens of heaven. Our future has even changed because in the end, we will inherit everything that belongs to his son, Jesus. We inherit everything that belongs to Jesus. First Peter 1. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4 describes it like this. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And y'all, this isn't in my notes, but I thought I'd just point this out. I think as I went through it the last time before tonight, God kind of pointed this out to me. In this text, you got it in front of you maybe. It says we're heirs of God. If we're children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So we're going to get everything that belongs to Jesus. But it, I don't want to miss that, that first part, heirs of God. And y'all, what Jesus wants the most is his father. We saw that in the garden. Abba, please, don't let me be separated from you. And, and what's our inheritance? Can you throw First Peter 4 or 1, 4 up there again? Imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who's waiting in heaven? God the Father. He's going to send his son back to come get us. He is imperishable. He's unfading. He's the one Jesus wants the most. The son with the father. And all of us, God's kids, we can be with the father too. And so, yes, heaven's going to be great. Eternity's going to be great. But the best part is that we're going to get God. And we can have him today. We don't deserve any of that. But, but you'll notice, guys, there is a caveat to this. And that's suffering. In two weeks after Thanksgiving, Jake Vaughn's going to get up here. He's going to talk a lot more about uh, hope in the midst of suffering. That's like the whole next part of this chapter. But our, uh, our text tonight, it, it kind of like teases it out. It talks about this idea of we're going to be co-heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him. Suffering's part of the deal. Suffering is part of the road to our inheritance. And this whole sermon just became real uncomfortable for some of you. 
the thing about being God's kid is sometimes our Father leads us differently than the world does. And sometimes, like Jesus, following our Father leads us to a cross. But we know, if you're God's kid, we know that there's hope even at a cross. How do we know that? Because if you're God's kid, you have the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave. It's in you to know that there's hope, even at a cross, even in suffering. In summary, God's kids follow their father. Practically, guys, what does following God look like? It looks like being with him, and it looks like living out our relationship with him. It looks like loving God and loving others. So be with him. Wake up tomorrow. Open up your word and invite him to speak. If you want to hear his voice, here's his voice. God's kids fall into the arms of their father. So return to dependence. We got to like relearn dependence in this world. We're so independent. Sometimes it looks like, God, I'm here. I'm not always here. I'm trying to lead my own life, but you're here. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna step into this embrace. I'm gonna say, Abba, pick me up. Uh, God's kids, they find hope in their father. Whenever you get to that cross, just remember this isn't our home. We have a future. And lastly, remember that God did more than saving you. He adopted you. Y'all, we're gonna go into a time of one more song of worship. And this song sings about our father. Uh, it sings about our dependence. It sings about how we're gonna run to him and step into his arms. And so this is what I want for y'all. I want you to stand quietly. Just want you to stand. And if you are God's kid and you know it, I want you to be like that child and just raise your hands and say, Abba, when you sing. I just want you to sing this song and just have that mindset like, Dada, I need you. And experience what it's like to be scooped up and held in his arms. And if you are not yet part of the family of God, that invitation's open. If you want to receive it, come talk to me. I'd love to. Or talk to a small group leader with their lanyards on. But during this song, if you would, would you just listen? You can sing if you'd like, but would you listen to the words? It's not karaoke. It's truth. Would you listen and figure out who you think this God is? The reason I gave my life to Jesus, the reason I'm up here today is because at one point in my life, I decided he's a perfect father and I need that. And so I pray, God, that students in this room would sing this song, that they would hear this song, that they would raise their hands, that they would have the heart of, Abba, Father, I need you, and that they would see you as a perfect father. I don't know what kind of father they got. But you say, Jesus, in Matthew 23, 9, don't call anyone on earth your father, for you have one father who is in heaven. And that's not a diss on any of our great dads represented in this room, but it's a reminder that they're just a shadow of you. Lord, we worship you in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray.